Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. So um, thankful to be here with you guys and uh, continuing in the book of James. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21 is where we'll be. Um, I don't know if there's another light. I think there's supposed to be at least one light on this stage that shines down because it just seems so dark. But anyways, hopefully you can see my face and you know that I'm not mad, right? And I'm actually smiling on the inside. But anyways, uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21 is where we'll be going. And... um, so just thankful to be here. Uh, again, my name is Rodney. I'm one of the pastors. If this is your first time, we want to welcome you. Uh, we really appreciate that you're here with us. We know that God has so much for you. Uh, he is everything to us, and we're so thankful to even just to be here with the holy word of God being speaking uh, in our midst, right? God's word is so holy. He is so holy. Now, um, in James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, we're in a passage here Um, But I want to give a little bit of background just from the beginning of James to where we're at, just about maybe two minutes. So just a quick summary. James is writing to a church, to the first church in Jerusalem that has now been dispersed. That means that they have been persecuted and had to move out of the area that they live, and they're all over the place. And this is the first epistle, the first letter ever being written to the church. Now back in that time, there was no, you know, Bible on your app. There was no scriptures to be shared. They actually had to hear by doing this, coming and someone would speak the word of God. And um, James right away tells the first church that's ever been established, hey, I want you to know something. It's almost like the invitation and welcome letter to the church of being in the kingdom. It's gonna get really tough in life. Things are gonna hit you over and over again. And that's where he says, count it all joy as various trials, right? As they come against you, as as you're gonna enter those trials. And he talks about um, asking God for wisdom to handle those trials, you know? And then he gets to a place in the verses we discussed last week, which was you're gonna have temptation. And in this temptation, you got to understand something. This temptation doesn't come from God because God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. He doesn't do any evil. As a matter of fact, he ends up in verse 18 and says, of his own who, I mean, verse 17 says, every good gift and perfect gift is from, from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not have a shadow. God does not have a bad part. God does not have any bad intention, but every good thing comes from God, no matter what temptation you face, no matter what trial you face. Then he goes on to say, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And then we end up in verse 19. In verse 19, he starts off by saying, know this, know this. The word know this comes from uh, the Greek word, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word oida, which comes from the root word oido, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, suggests a fullness of knowledge. To know, not partially like gnosko, which is to get to know or a knowing in progress, But James is making it clear, know this fully, not maybe, maybe, not progressively, but fully. I need you to get this. That's how he starts off this next set of scriptures, and he's about to talk. He says, know this. Then he goes on to say, my beloved brothers. So my beloved brothers, the word beloved is a word of affection of the family of Christ. It belongs to the family of Christ, particularly to the family of Christ. He does not just stop there by saying, you are beloved and and this affection I have for you, but he also goes on to say, my beloved. He writes to the church and he takes possession of it as his own dear family. My beloved, listen to this. He starts off and he says, 
I want you to get this. So he's very intentional. Why? Because we have all been adopted by our Heavenly Father. And he wants you to know that. And what I love about James and many of the epistles that are written by all the other authors that are there is they usually start off with knowing that it starts with an affection or a love, right? Paul many times says, my brothers, right? A beloved, uh, he talked about those that uh, have been saved through grace, right? He, he addresses them with affection. He starts off with love and grace. He says, love and grace and mercy be to you all, or peace be with you. And that's exactly how James is starting off, my beloved. And then he gets down to business and he says, be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. Why is he saying be quick to hear? What does it mean to be quick to hear? It means swift. It means right away. It means listen, understand. Sorry. <laughs> I was trying to silence my phone and I turned on the music. Anyways. <laughs> Listen, understand what's being said. That's what it means to be quick to hear. So right off the bat, listen. Now, when we think about this listening, right, we're thinking about most likely a conversation. So what's the purpose of someone speaking? What's the purpose of a conversation? The purpose of someone speaking is they want for the other person to listen and understand what they are saying. That's the whole reason why you talk. The reason why you're going to say something out of your words is so someone would listen to you and understand. But guess what? The other person wants you to listen and understand. That's the whole purpose of speaking, right? So that's where James is saying, Guess what? The whole important thing is that you will listen. Proverbs 18, verse 13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and his shame. How does this happen? How does it that we start talking and we don't listen? Well, this can happen by us just thinking about what I'm going to say next, right? What's the next thing I'm going to say? You can have a conversation, and you can hear words coming out of someone's mouth, but you could still not be listening. So how do we get to the place of listening? In order of us to listen, we must first stop. We must first stop. Stop what we're doing. Stop what we're thinking about. Stop thinking about what, what to say next. But to look at and to see the person in front of us. Now, my question to you is, how do we learn to stop? How do we learn to be quick to listen? Well, I believe we get this. And how do we do this in a fast-paced world? I believe we do this is when we learn from the greatest example that has ever been, been given. Jesus is that greatest example. See, Jesus had the heaviest workload a person could ever have. That workload was to save the whole world. Because many of us are busy and grinding out and doing so many things, and that's what is our culture right now. That's what the big beast is, this beast of keeping us busy and not allowing us to hear from God. But Jesus had this big workload, and his workload was to save the whole world. Jesus was needed by everyone. So maybe it's not work. Maybe it's just being needed, you know, in a good way. People need your help. The demand on Jesus was endless, but guess what? Jesus stopped. The first example is when he starts the work that God had given him on this earth. He starts with 40 days of stopping. So here's Jesus. He's about to start what God has called him to do, right? It's just like us. We leave our parents' house, and it's day one of being a doll, and we're ready to go to school or go to work and conquer the world about to start our life, start our new job, start our career, start our direction, start this big world that we're living in, and Jesus stops 40 days. 40 days he stops. No food, no water, no city, no people, no phones, no music, no Netflix, no YouTube, 40 days in the wilderness. 40 long 24-hour days 
with no one but the Father. What's interesting is we see in Luke 4.14, when he comes out, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. The power of the Spirit. We are lacking power in our lives. Now, how did Jesus return in the power of the Spirit? Was by stopping to be with the Father. See, that's how we learn to stop, to be able to listen, is when we stop to be with God. See, we must grasp and meditate on the fact that God allowed for the life of his only son to stop in order for eternal life to be possible. That's the second time Jesus, not the second time, but that's another time after all of his ministry, he also stopped. Matter of fact, shortly after his ministry, ministry just started, he goes from the wilderness to, to, to calling disciples, to healing, to, to doing that. And then just very shortly, within a few days, they find him getting up in the morning and stopping to be alone and quiet with the Father again. And then he lives his ministry for three years, a hard, hard ministry. And then he comes to a stopping point, and that's the stopping of his life. So God allowed his son's life to stop in order for us to stop. See, humility is what will bring us to stop. When we realize that we want someone to listen to us, that when we realize there's a human in front of us, that we too are a human, and that it's important that we stop and listen. Our need to listen, our need to hear, our, the need for someone to be heard, that's all important. Listening is loving and showing care. Listening builds relationships and connection. Let's move on. Now, James says, be quick to listen, now slow to speak. Slow to speak. If you need to say something, let it be thoughtful. If you need to say something, let it be thoughtful. This is what James is saying. What happens is when we are talking, when someone is trying to talk to us, we're not listening. We're just thinking about what to respond to them, how to respond to them, what are we going to say next? Now, question, why do you have a need to talk? Why do I have a need to talk when someone's talking? What are some of the needs that come up? What are the reasons why that we justify talking when someone's talking? Maybe just needing to be heard ourselves? Oh, someone's talking to me. i got to talk to them because I never have been talked to anyone right now. How about defending ourselves? Many times as the conversation is going, you know where it's going, and right away you jump to the, to the punch and you want to get the word in so that way you can defend yourself and keep yourself from being exposed or vulnerable or have to admit maybe where you're wrong. Maybe we just want to win every conversation or we want to look smart or wise. That's all connected to insecurity. Proverbs 10.19 says, you will say the wrong thing if you talk too much. So be sensible and watch what you say. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even fools seem smart when they are quiet. It's interesting how Proverbs is pointing out even a foolish person, a person that we know as, you know, not listening, just by him being quiet or her being quiet, looks wise. In order for us to have a gentle answer, what do we need in a conversation? We need to listen and, turn, and not turn the conversation or the story that's their story into our story. Have you noticed that sometimes in a conversation, the more you talk in a situation, the more you get agitated, the more you become angry, which leads us to the next part of the verse. It says, be quick to hear, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Slow to anger. If you have any anger, let it be under control. So he doesn't say, don't have anger. He just says, it, let it be under control. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. So this anger that it's talking about, it's talking about an anger that is under control and slowly well thought out. And that comes from listening, and that comes from, from hearing God. That comes from not talking right away. It's just, you know, I'm not feeling good maybe in this situation of life, in this conversation, or, or whatever's going on. But let it become slow to anger. Proverbs 14.7 says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. 
So whenever we're quick-tempered, that's the opposite of what James is saying here. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger. Again, where does that good sense come from? And it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Most anger that the Bible talks about is sinful. Most anger is sinful. And many times it says, put away all wrath. In other words, put away that anger that is sinful. But I want to say most of it is sinful. It's very seldom that we can actually get angry for the right reason. We lose our integrity when we're angry, right? The trust of others, our self-control when we live by anger. Human anger, by contrast, is nearly always an expression of human selfishness and fear of, or, or desire to control the world around us. So where does anger come from? Many times it comes from a place of pain, a place of fear, and that causes us to be angry. That's the, there's underlying effect, right? The anger is the fruit, it's up here. But what is the difference between human anger and righteous anger? Righteous anger is when we get angry over a disrespect or a who care attitude towards God's holiness. I mean, do any of you really think of that whenever you get angry? Like, I am so mad because, you know, that's just disrespecting how God is so good and holy and perfect. Like, that's not me. I have no hands to raise up. I don't get angry like that. I just get angry, you know? Human anger versus uh, a righteous anger. Another part of righteous anger is something that distorts God's goodness. We should become slow to anger whenever God's goodness is being distorted. Right? Maybe injustice. Because why? It's hurting the image of God when someone is, someone's unjust to someone else or someone's hurting someone else. Abuse, when someone's being abused. Those are righteous anger. But never should it flare up and flare out and blow up and blast out. Even if it started off with someone that's being abused or some righteous anger, even if it starts off with a good intention, but if it blows up and hurts back, it's no longer righteous. It just became tainted. And it's very hard to be able to express our anger or deal with our anger for the good. We really do need to listen, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. So what does it mean here? And it leads us to our next verse, which is verse 20. It says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Can we produce the righteousness of God? Is there anyone here that can produce the righteousness of God? That's not really what it's saying. It's not saying that somehow we can produce it and that we're not going to produce it if we're angry. The righteousness of God that is talking about is not the righteousness that comes by faith through what Christ has done on the cross. And what does, what does that mean? That means that Jesus, and, Jesus is only right. God is holy. And there's a right way to live. And it's a perfect life to live. And that all of humanity and all of man has never been able to live that life. And Jesus lived that life for us, and when we receive Christ, now there's an exchange for his righteousness. That's a different righteousness than what James is talking about. No one could ever live perfectly like Jesus. The, the righteousness that he's talking about is to live in a way that looks like Jesus. It's talking about good works, right? He talk, uh, Jesus says, unless your good works surpass those of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you only say you believe, but you're actually not having anything to show fruits that are good, then you have no righteous acts. This isn't right to go to heaven. This isn't righteousness to be accepted by God. This is, comes from the fruit of the word of God being implanted in our hearts, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So again, right here, it says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So really what James is saying is, man, if you're not listening, if you talk too much, if you get all angry, you get upset, you're just gonna not be able to even act right. There's just no way. I mean, how many of you angry can be angry and be so loving to, let's say, you're angry at your husband or your friend or a mom or dad and be nice to them at the same time? Like, your face is half smiling, half angry. No, that, this, it's impossible. 
It's even not possible to even think straight, to even come close to somebody. It's impossible. And then verse 21. Well, let me actually go into this a little bit more. Anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And it's not to say that we can produce that righteousness. Now, what are the root causes of anger? Fear, pain, and frustration. Fear can be a root cause. Instead of confronting our fears with the truth of God's word and speaking to others about it. That's the way you deal with fear. You've got to confront it with the word of God and tell yourself the truth that this is the truth and we do not need to fear. It's the, the, the most commanded or the, the commandment that's been given the most in the Bible is fear not or not to worry. And we do that by confronting it with God's promises and speaking to others. We become angry. A lot of our anger is, is covered, I mean, is the bottom of it is fear. Because if I am so scared or so fearful, but I allow anger to give me courage and to protect myself and to take control and do something about it, sometimes our anger is just being driven by really an underlying fear that I might be hurt or destroyed or I am hurting, right? Uh, or it's going to get worse, or something bad's going to happen, or no one's going to protect me, so I've got to really get angry. It's almost like a, a fight versus a flight reaction. The false ang- the anger, I'm sorry, the anger gives us a false sense of protection and a justification to hurt others. Hurting people hurt others. Pain. We are hurting because of maybe of a relationship or a difficult situation in life. And there's a lot of pain in that situation. It could be loss of a loved one. It could be a change of a situation. It could be a relationship that we're in. It doesn't matter uh, if it's a friend or a brother or a pastor or whatever it is. You're in this situation where you're hurting and it's painful because that person is not reacting the way you want or they're distancing themselves or the situation is getting harder and harder and it's bringing more pain and more struggle. So we become angry and it gives us power and a false sense of control over the pain and protection from the pain. See, if I hurt you first, you can't hurt me. If, if, if this anger drives me, it gives me a way to escape from the pain and feel anger. Anger is very energizing. But it's a false energy. And it always comes back down and it always causes damage. Frustration is probably the most common cause for anger, right? Blowing up, yeah, blowing off our tops. We feel violated when someone cuts us off in traffic. We're trying to get somewhere and accomplish something, and the kids don't want to get into the car fast enough because we have this good plan that we want to follow through and be responsible and look good and do well in life, so we get frustrated. We have asked our spouse a million times to not fill in the blank, right? Or someone at work, we've asked them a million times, not fill in the blank. But they do it again, and so we're frustrated. So we burst out in anger. That's probably the most common. What's crazy is, is I think this is what leads us to the next verse, and this is, I think, I'm not saying for sure, to justification and motivation for the first half of the next verse. The first half of this next verse 21, as you can see it says, they're put off all filthiness and rampant wickedness. James is just talking about this whole subject of listening, you know, and he's talking about, you know, anger and he, and he really spells out anger. And then he goes into therefore put off all the filthiness and therefore means connecting. What I said just before connects to this next part I'm just about to tell you. And he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. It's like, where do you come up with this? You just come out with this filthiness. Filthiness is moral evil. Anything that is bad or wrong, anything. I know we want to spell out the major words of what it is, but I believe that, I think that anger, not just so much anger itself, but the root of the anger can cause us to justify and cause us to have moral evil and rampant wickedness. I don't think that people uh, are just going to get up one day and say, you know what, 
I'm going to go ahead and be addicted for the rest of my life. Like, it's the greatest dream I've ever had. I've been looking forward to it. I learned it in elementary. It's what everyone talked about is the best thing in the world. I don't think people get up one day and say, I'm going to be a control freak. Like, so many bad things are going to happen to my life, and i got to learn how to navigate it. And as I learn to navigate it, then I'm going to control it. And I'm going to let nothing hurt me anymore. I don't think people get up in their life and say, man, I'm going to worry, right? Or I'm going to be addicted to porn. I'm just going to look at porn the rest of my life. It's going to lead me to affairs and, and harden my heart and just destroy my life, right? I'm going to just party all my life. I'm, going to, I'm just going to act this way. I'm going to be lying. I'm going to be revengeful. See, those are all the surface words that we give to what we call uh, filthiness or rampant wickedness. We give these surface words. But I believe James is talking about going down a little bit deeper underneath that. And that's why he calls out anger as one thing. And all of us are good at that. We're all good with looking at the fruit on the tree, but never going to the root and what's really causing all of this. James is trying to get here somewhere, and he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, at first glance, the way I'm preaching this and how I'm telling you about, you know, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger and put away, you know, all filthiness and rampant wickedness, all of that sounds like a bunch of commands, But it's not. Now all that to get to what I think James is really saying in this passage of Scripture. And that's the latter part of verse 21. I mean verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 21. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is hard to understand at first glance because it says receive what is implanted. Why would we need to receive something that has already been implanted? Because the implanting is the part that we're going to have the hardest time with. The implanting is what God has done. Let's go back to verse 18. Verse 18 says here, And of his own will... That means God chose of his own will. No one made him do it. No one coerced him to do it. He didn't have to do it, and he didn't need to do it. But of his own choice, he brought us forth by the word of truth. This implantation that James is talking about here, this thing that James, that God did, and James is saying, I need you to receive this. This is an implantation that God did by himself on his home through his word. What's that implanting? That implanting is faith. That implanting is the word of God. That implanting is your salvation. And I believe this is what unlocks this whole passage is the word of God. God decides on his own before creation to choose you. He chose you. If you are hearing this word and if you believe in Jesus and you put your hope in him and not anything that you've done, he's chosen you. See, none of us were ever born with God's word in us. None of us were ever born knowing what God wants us to do and with a desire just to live for God. Now, some of you that came to Christ very young may feel that way because that's all you knew and that's all you ever heard. But you know, even when you were young, you were lying, cheating, fighting, all kinds of stuffing, right? You guys were doing all kinds of stuff. I don't care if you were two or three. We're born sinners, separated from God. And that's why God's word does not make sense to someone who does not know Christ. They don't wake up one day in the world. You don't go to work one day and, or, or in your, wherever your public places are where people don't believe in God and say, hey, guess what? I really want to know Jesus, and, and, I, and, and he makes so much sense to me. As a matter of fact, you are like me fighting against this idea of this world that wants to make God look like he's bad, like he's ridiculous, like he's foolish, like he's you know, antiquated, like horrible, right? We're fighting against that because why? God's word is foreign to us because we're born sinners and we're born enemies of God. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me go there real quick. Ephesians 2, 
Ephesians chapter 2 starts off with verse 1 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Paul is, starting, is talking to us and saying, look, this is the beginning. This is how you got your start. Everyone want to have a good start in life? Here's your start. You're dead. You know how you got started in, in, in Jesus Christ? You were dead. I want to make this clear. You were dead. Not in, in what? In your trespasses, meaning every single one broke God's law. That's a trespass. Trespass to go beyond the barrier, the barrier of sin, right? What God says to do or not to do. In which you once walked. So you just didn't like cross over the line just one little time, but you actually walked and lived that way day after day and night after night, and you still fight against that to this day, even though you know Christ. Following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's how we started, and that's where God implants the very living word inside of us. As we go on to Ephesians, it says, but even when we were dead in our trespasses, even in this dead state, even in this moment where we had not even one reason to lift our hand to God, because we didn't raise our hand to God and say, help me. He had mercy. It says, even when we were dead in our trespass, he made us alive together. He made us alive together. By grace, you've been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show you the measurable riches of his grace, and that's what we're talking about here in, in James is his grace, and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And here's how he did it. And James is saying the same thing. For by grace you've been saved through the faith, and this is not your own doing. Again, he wants to nail it down. This is not your own doing. And that's why it's so hard to grasp what James is saying to receive the implanted word is because we want something to do with it. We want to somehow say, I made it happen. We want to say somehow there was a little itsy bitsy .0000001% of good that I did in order for me to know Jesus and live this life that I'm living now. No, he says, this is not your doing. And it was by faith. By faith. Romans 10 says, where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17 says, so faith now comes from the hearing and the hearing of the word of Christ. God made your ears to be able to hear the good news. The good news is preached 24-7 through television, through media, through uh, words, through books, even through God's spirit he speaks to people. But people are not hearing. Only God can make the deaf man hear and the blind man see. And that's what Jesus has done. He implanted his word that allowed you to come alive. If you don't believe me, how about Deuteronomy 30, 14 says, No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. The implanted word of God. This is what James is talking about. It's this implantation of God's word. And 18 says it's his choosing of his own doing. You know, most of us have been taught the opposite. And the way this world works is the opposite of what James is talking about here. See, 18 says he chose by his own doing, right, to make us his own. Uh, let's see. Brought us, brought us forth by the word of truth, by his own doing, because he's a good God. Let's get that, out of the, get that on the table right away. And because he's a good God, you can stop and listen. And as you stop and listen, you can receive and hear from him. As you receive and hear from him, you have the word of God working itself out. So what? You don't have to carry out, right? The filthy works. So you don't have to carry out the filthiness, the rampant wickedness. So you don't have to be quick to anger. But the world says, and religion says the opposite. They said, guess what? You better stop doing all this stuff that you're doing, right? Get your life right. Get it together, right? Get yourself under control. You better do some good things, and then maybe God will listen to you. 
And then maybe you can hear from God. And that's what religion says, and that's what this world says. And you know what? To be quite honest, and that's one of our biggest temptations as those that believe. The Christian's biggest temptation is to somehow think we can pull ourselves together and make it happen. Somehow we think that we can make ourselves obey God. It doesn't come from that. James wants to make it clear here. Verse 21, he says, Therefore put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness. Receive with meekness. Meekness means I'm in need. I want this. I see how beautiful and glorious it is. The implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, is James saying they're not saved? No, again, we have to understand and look at the passage and what he's really saying. Again, when you're studying scripture, you have to correlate it with other scriptures to see if it all goes together. What he means by save your souls is the sanctification of your life, the part of you becoming more and more like Jesus. Not literally save you, He's talking to the church that is already saved. Now, if you haven't been saved today, what do you mean saved? And what's this word saving? It's being saved from the wrath of God. It's being saved from God's judgment against you. God's judgment against you is perfect and holy and right. And you know why? Because if he didn't have a righteous, holy judgment against you, he would be a wicked and horrible God. That means that he's got to make things right because he set what was right since the beginning. And anything broken or crooked off of that would destroy his perfect plan. Because there's going to come a day where he's going to make a final judgment. Where he shall judge the living and the dead. And there's going to be a place that he calls home in heaven where he prepared for those that believe him and follow him. And have accepted that they can't do it and that they need him to do it. And it's better be perfect because if there's one little thing wrong with it, it would destroy for all eternity what he's always want to be right. That's why he has a righteous, holy judgment against what you've done is wrong. Because any judge that does not judge what is wrong is crooked and should not be and is not just. The greatest story ever told, though, is that he takes that judgment and he places it on his son instead of placing it on you and places it on me. And this is not the beginning to faith. This is how we stay in the faith is constantly running to God's arms of mercy by focusing on what he did for us through his son on the cross. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word of God which is able to save your souls. This is our biggest temptation to say that we have something to do with it. That somehow we're going to make our lives right. And James wants us to get this right away as we go through these trials, as we go through these temptations, that we must stop. I believe quick to listen is, is, the, is like the, the crooks of the how and the practical. If we don't stop, we're never going to be able to get it, ever. And that's why I believe Jesus gave us such a great example of having to save the whole world. Anybody want that workload just to save the whole world? Anybody want the workload of being in the most demand in all of the world? Anyone want the workload of having to die for all the sins? No, not one of us. So if he's the busiest, most in demand, and has so much going on and stops, there's something there. And I believe that that's very important is that we catch that. How many times in the scripture does it remind us, right? Be still and know that I am God. Right? I believe the time when it was Elijah and and the Spirit of the Lord was coming by and he wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the earthquake, he was in the slow, uh, quiet, still voice. And that's what you're fighting and what I'm fighting every day. We're fighting this, this, this dragon, this beast, of taking us and distracting us as he did Adam and Eve from God himself. See, if Jesus' life was stopped, and he died for us so we could have heaven, when we stop to be with Jesus during the day, 
we're believing the gospel. We're speaking the gospel to God, and we're speaking it to our soul, and we're speaking it to the people around us. What do you mean speak it to God? We must reflect back to God, this is your good news. Because your mind and your heart needs to hear that. Then you got to speak it to your own soul as you speak it to God. Because see, there's a lot of voices that come through every distraction that we're in. Through every trial, every struggle, every pain, every hurt. They're, they're speaking to us daily and they're trying to distract us from the beauty of God. When we, we learn by stopping to be with Jesus through a daily office, right? A time where we stop and we call it, a, a, this word daily office uh, came from monks that would take, you know, uh, multiple times a day. I don't know how many minutes are there in a day. Does anybody know how many minutes are in a day? Who's smart here? Well, there's a lot of minutes, okay? 60 times 8 and 240, I don't know. Some, it's way up there. No, 24, 60, yeah, a lot. So there's a lot of minutes. Let's prove my point, right? <laughs> a lot of minutes, and we want to stop for five at the beginning of the day and then leave Jesus in those five minutes there the difference between the reason for the stopping is not that's where I leave him. The reason for the stopping is to be able to say, I trust you, God. You can run this whole world for the next 5, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever time it is. And it's not just stopping, but it's also being in God's word. It's meditating on God's word, but also hearing God's word. As James says, be quick to listen. This is not, I don't even know if this is even about a conversation with somebody. It doesn't say. It doesn't say when you have a conversation, be quick to listen, so to speak, you know, slow to anger. It doesn't mean that. I just use that in that part because, it, you know, we deal with conversations. We deal with anger. I'm not even saying it has to deal with anger. But what I do know what it's talking about is talking about listening to the implanted word of God so it can save our souls. See, we have a long walk with God, and we have this life. And what we're doing is when we stop is we're speaking the gospel to ourselves, to God, and to others around us. Because God has a way of making this world holy and righteous. And you know how it is? It's through his spirit. It's through what his son did. But guess what? It's through you and through me, the body of Christ. We are now called holy so God's holiness can go to someone else. Holy means separated. If we cannot allow God to separate us for a time, for him to have us alone, there's no way that your family, your friends, and your neighbors, and everyone else that is fighting this beast that wants to steal our attention and our time is going to ever be set apart for him as well. And God wants us to stop, and that's what we do is we reflect the gospel it builds trust, it builds faith, it builds confidence in God. How many need more faith today? How many need more confidence today in God? How many need help in their life? How many need an answer in their life? How many are like me that on Sunday morning I can be preaching in full with God's Spirit and on Monday morning I feel like all of life is going to crumble down on me in two seconds? And I don't even know how I got there. That's me. So how many of us need that? We get that from stopping to be with Jesus. See, when we rush in to talk even to God, that's where it says be slow to speak. When we rush in to talk to God, and that's me, and I was so convicted this week as I heard a sermon, and it says, man, if you're just going to just tell God what you need, it's probably being more driven by your lusts these things that I'm worried about, things that I'm idling about. And I'm not talking less in a perverted way. I'm talking about these are things that are, man, oh, help my this and help my that and please make this okay and please make that okay and I'm just doing that for 20, 30 minutes and then I'm starting to worry about it. That's, that's driven by that. I'm not stopping to listen to God. I'm more focused and worried about whatever's going on in my life. That was convicting to me. We have to be able to stop and quick to hear, hear what God is saying to us. We speak to God, but God needs to have his time to speak to us. We're made to be spoken to. We need truth outside of us. So instead of me just coming to God with a list and just speaking right away, but James saying quick to, 
to listen, I'm able to maybe hear what God has to say and begin to thank him for his promises of what he's already done. So instead of my mind thinking and worrying about all the things that I want God to fix and make better in my life, I begin to thank him for all the things that he's promised that he is in charge of and in control of it and that has in his hands. And my faith starts to grow. And all of a sudden my fear goes to faith, faith in God. The scripture here, and this is where it says the word may save us, the scripture is talking about listening and hearing God. We have to allow the word of God to speak to us. When we're hearing and listening to God, we find the very thing our heart is looking for, and our heart is looking for him. It's important that we get this, because whatever we listen to determines our whole life. Why? Because that's what our minds think about. That's what our minds think about. When we listen and hear God, we're careful, we're loving when we speak, anger dissipates. And if we do have anger, it's used for good and not for bad. Then sin, which leads us to filthiness and rapid wickedness, has no chance. And God's word can continue to flourish that is being implanted and that is saving us continually in the sanctification process. This flows out of every way in every area of our life. When we want to help somebody, we can help with the right intention. This is how we minister to. But I believe this is what James is talking about. When we're ready to be, to know this, right? My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Would you take this week and just commit with me to stop at least two times in a day to be quick to hear. But do me a favor, when you think of that word stop, don't stop. Can you, you're gonna stop for a moment, meaning stop the distraction, stop what you're doing and just quiet and alone with God. But would you not stop listening to him from the time that you leave that moment when you stopped everything else? In other words, as you're having a conversation, like as I'm preaching the word, I'm wanting to stay connected to God. I want to hear from him. As you're doing your work, as you're caring about your studies, as you're walking from place to place, would you just keep him with you? Would you keep this ongoing prayer and this ongoing connection? Would you do that? Would you trust James that, you know, maybe he might, not, might have learned a little bit about what it's like to live this life, being the brother of Jesus and hanging out with him, that, you know, be quick to listen, take some time to stop and just be with him and take him with you. Would you do that? this week would you have the word of God in there whether it's a scripture you're just thinking about all day long you know what's crazy about studying these scriptures and there's only one two three three verses totally wrecked my world every day all day it was just there's so much more like it's just endless 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 and would you allow even just one verse a couple verses just to to, to wreck you just to think about one word on here like like listen you know, or filthiness. Like, just do a word study on that or just think about that. Would you allow God to just take his word and to, to, to be able, for you to be able to receive it? Would you receive God's word this week? Would you commit with me to receive God's word? Where is God's word on your value system, on your priority list today, this month, this year? Where is it? Would you allow yourself to be able to take God's word. Would you allow yourself to take God's word? Would you um, allow that to chart to transform how you interact with others? Where when they talk, it's for you to listen and for you to ask even deeper and very important question to get to really understand what they say and maybe even repeat back what they said so they make sure you got it. And then maybe talk or maybe not talk at all. Because maybe God may even speak to you something about what they said to you. Or maybe they just need to be heard and not be corrected or criticized or 
just heard? Would we be a church that listens to each other? Because why? God is listening to us. God takes the time to hear us. And if your emotions start to rise and that anger starts to come, would you bring them to God and to others and help you walk through this and not let it overtake you and not be quick to blow up and, and let it lead you to some other sin? And if you're caught in a trespass or caught in a sin, would you be quickly to bring that up and bring it out right away so it doesn't keep you from listening, it doesn't keep you from hearing God, and it doesn't keep you from the Word of God just transforming your life over and over. Would you allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to know and believe the gospel enough to know that there's nothing that we can't talk about and nothing we cannot bring up? I know this may make some of us uncomfortable here today because we're not used to actually being able to say it all. But it's the most liberating, the most holy thing you can do is confess your sin. The most holy thing you can do. It seems like the opposite, right? The most holy thing I can do is keep it all in and pretend everything's okay. No, it's the opposite. Because again, it's God's word that is going to make the change. If I can have the praise team come up. I don't know where I'm at on time, but it seems like I'm ready to turn this over. The word of God is the bread of life, right? It's the living water. The word of God is Jesus, right? Jesus is life. Jesus is living water. Jesus is the bread. He says, eat this bread. So as we're in the word, we pray. Prayer and the word are the main and will always be the main uh, places where we meet God and where God works. You can't just have the word, you become arrogant and mean and, 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 and snobbish, but you can't just have prayer where you're just, it's all about the spirit, it's about prayer, but you must have prayer and the word and relationship with others, right? So James is pleading for us and saying, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then next time we meet, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. That's going to be interesting. All right. God bless you, church.